Yeah, how are you going to display your deceased cult leader's body if you don't have a TikTok? Welcome to Tencent Takes, the podcast where we predict the coming of the end of days, one issue at a time. My name is Jessica Frazier, and I am joined by my co-host, the savior of sweets, Mike Thompson. Hey. Hey. The purpose of our podcast is to study comic books in ways that are both fun and informative. We want to look at their coolest, weirdest, and silliest moments, as well as examine how they're woven into the larger fabric of pop culture and history. Today, we're taking a turn for the religious as we look at Inspire Christian Comics. We'll look at the history behind the publication, the comics, and the books they were based upon, and discuss how Archie played a role in trying to educate the Utes about Jesus. What? Yep, that's happening. <laughs> it's okay. I know we say this every week, but this was once again a rabbit hole filled episode. So buckle up, friends. <laughs> it's almost like we're developing a theme. Oh, no. Yes. I like it, though. <laughs> there are worse themes to have. There are. There are. Before we get to our main topic and the one cool thing we've read and talked about lately, let's call upon the fact that it is May 4th. And may the 4th be with you, Mike. And may the 4th be with you. I thank you. For the record, let it be known that I am wearing an R2-D2 printed dress. And I have Leia buns. So I am dressed appropriately. And I saw that your You're household fancy. was also uh, celebrating. Yeah, we festooned everything, but we didn't have any Star Wars outfits to wear, unfortunately. So we just threw up Star Wars comics around the household in front of our Vader poster and other things that we have. But I have a couple of the really old Dark Horse comics that I absolutely love and adore. That's so fun. I love it. Yeah. Well, we like to do something each week called One Cool Thing You've Read or Watched Lately. Mike, why don't you start us off? Sure. So this weekend, I wound up reading through DC's Doomsday Clock Collection on Hoopla. It's basically the official comic book sequel to Watchmen. It finally delivers the payoff that DC set up back in 2017 when they revealed Dr. Manhattan was involved in the creation of both the New 52 and Rebirth universes. Have you read Watchmen? I haven't read it, no. Okay. It's one of those iconic series that everybody loves to talk about. And <laughs> to be honest, it's one that I never really enjoyed because I felt it had a pretty nihilistic tone, mm. but I've read it. I appreciate what it did for comics in the era. It was interesting. I read this and I actually was pretty sour at the start, mainly because I wasn't sure that I liked the story because again, it felt pretty nihilistic and ugly. That said, I actually really enjoyed the way that everything paid off at the end, primarily the idea that there's now a, a quote-unquote metaverse in the DC continuity, which feels like honestly the best response to all the different universe resets that they've been doing since the 80s. It wound up being helpful with a, a surprisingly sweet ending. I mean, it's not as good as the HBO series that came out around the same time, but it's pretty damn good. Nice. How about you? I recently purchased the comic book Fangs by Sarah Anderson. 
I haven't heard of this. It's super adorable. It's about the unfolding relationship of a vampire and a werewolf and how they relate Hmm. and coexist in random life situations. Okay. Yeah, like the werewolf eating garlic and going to kiss the vampire. And she like has a reaction to it. Yeah. (laughs) Nice. Or their inability to take a selfie together because she doesn't show up on camera. So all of his friends are asking, we haven't ever seen your girlfriend before. Like, why can't you just post a picture? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's great. So I I highly recommend this. If you're looking for a lighthearted, fun and wholesome comic, it's just been super nice and mellow. And it's been a good ease to my busy brain. Nice. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. On to our main topic, Spire Christian comics. So I mentioned on a prior episode that I ran across some used comics at an estate sale for a dollar each. So how could I not buy all of them? Yeah, no kidding. And I legit didn't even look at them until after I'd left the sale. But when I did, oh, I was in for a real treat. The Archie one that was in the the stack really didn't catch me off guard. That one seemed pretty basic Archie from the looks of the cover, but the other one was amazing. Do you remember I messaged you a picture of the covers, and you were the one who discovered the Spire Christian Comics brand for us? (laughs) Yes, I do. (laughs) Yeah, that was fun. I just could not believe I found these. And when I sat down to do my research, I wasn't sure how much information there really was surrounding these, but... Like I said earlier, buckle up, friends. This was a rabbit hole journey that I will gladly take you on. One that includes Jesus, Archie, Eric Estrada, and more. (laughs) Wait, the guy from Chips? Yes. Oh, God. The very same. Is this more or less embarrassing than that weird land sale thing that he was doing about 10 or 15 years ago? Ooh, I'll let you decide. (laughs) we will talk about it all right (laughs) i'm strapping in my body is ready oh well before we dig too deep and since we'll be talking about religion a lot this episode mike what is your religious background and where do you currently stand um So I like to joke that my family views me as the failed experiment because I didn't really turn out like they were hoping. And a large part of that is basically because I swipe left on organized religion as soon as I got a choice. Patton Oswalt talks about the concept of it's all chaos, be kind in his special Annihilation. And that's kind of where I stand these days. But I grew up surrounded by a religion. I was raised Episcopalian. We went to church almost every Sunday, and a large portion of my bedtime stories were from the Bible storybook. My mom is from Texas also, so I've got several Baptist ministers on that side of the family, including a televangelist. Oh, oh. Yeah. And to his credit, he has never been implicated in a scandal, but there's never really been anything bad about him. I don't want to name him because, you know, I don't want to make things awkward, but yeah, he and his family have always been very kind. To my family, I know they helped my mom out a lot when she was in college. And I see him on TV, or I used to when I had TV. I would see him appear every now and then on the early morning sermon services every now and then. And I certainly didn't agree with everything he said. But it was just always weird and surreal to turn on the TV at, say, 6 a.m. while I was getting ready for work or whatever. And there he was. 
Wow. I mean, growing up, me and my siblings would actually go to Texas for portions of our summers, and we would go to church with our extended family, so it was really different than what we were used to. I actually, I wasn't allowed to get my driver's license until I met certain criteria from my parents. One of those things was that I had to get confirmed. And (laughs) I never really had much of a personal connection with religion. And my parents made the mistake of telling me that I didn't have to go to church anymore after I got confirmed. So I wound up taking them up on that. And (laughs) that was kind of much to their chagrin. (laughs) And then additionally, my first degree was in history. And my oral exit exam was a presentation talking about the Catholic Church and how it would cement its power around the world by breaking up old nations and then forming new ones that were beholden to it. So I'd like to think I'm relatively well-informed about the various aspects and sects of Christianity, but I don't really have any spiritual beliefs of my own. I just, I try to be a good person for the sake of being a good person, not because I want to be rewarded in a theoretical afterlife. Yeah, I agree with that. It makes me nervous when people tell me or make it appear that religion's the thing holding them back from making bad decisions. Yeah, I don't like that. I'm like, that's really creepy. So I guess religion is for you. Like... (laughs) But I was raised for the first part of my life as a Lutheran, and that included going to church. We did preschool at the Lutheran church, but we didn't continue going to church after middle school-ish. There was just some congregation changes, I think, with the pastor that my parents are just like, oh, we don't really Mm. like this new guy. And I'm sure life just got busy because, you know, I was, however, from... 11 until I was probably about 20, actually, was involved in a Masonic girls organization, which had backgrounds in religion. But that felt very secular. We definitely had some girls who were Jewish. We had girls of all different religions. Girls were Catholic. And we actually made it a point of the person who was the honored queen or the kind of president they were voted in. Was that the actual term? Was it honored queen? It was honored queen, by the way, past honored queen. Here we are. (laughs) It's a whole thing. You have to memorize so much stuff. (laughs) So can I just next time I see you in person, just be like, hey, queen. Oh, yeah, I'm actually a queen, so it's fine. (laughs) And that term doesn't leave me because I am a past honored queen. So still a queen. (laughs) But as Honored Queen, they made it a point for, at least in our Bethel, I don't know if everybody did this in our particular chapter, we would go with the Honored Queen to her church. I didn't have a church at the time, so I don't think I even did that. But we went to a Catholic church. We went to some Mm. Episcopalian. I mean, we we did a lot of different church visiting. And so I did get to hear a lot of different aspects and like ways, manners that this information or information in general was being portrayed. And at this point in my life, I consider myself agnostic because the are we alone out there question seems a little above my pay grade to answer, in my opinion. I'm not willing to commit that there is nothing happening, but I'm also not willing to commit to, yes, this is happening, (laughs) you know? So (laughs) I'll leave it to other people to figure that whole thing out for me. That seems like a pretty fair stance to take. Yeah, just stay out of it. Someone wants to bring me (laughs) along, they can, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. So I want to list the resources that I use while researching this topic and want to make sure I give these websites the proper credit. 
So bakerpublishinggroup.com, youdontreadcomics.com, christiancomicsinternational.org, comicsalliance.com, biblio.com, Wikipedia for one article, and Hal Lindsay's There's a New World Coming through archive.org, which has a wonderful text-to-speech accessibility feature, which saved me a great deal of time. I didn't know that they did text-to-speech. That's rad. Oh, it was amazing. Yeah, when I figured that out. And you can speed it up, so I listened to it at two times the speed. <laughs> so, nice. Yeah. That, that's really cool. That being said, it did mean that I was listening to Hal Lindsey, uh, his book in robot speech, because it wasn't like a normal voice. It was text-to-speech, like robot lady speaking. So that was a trip to hear about the rapture through that. I mean, if you're going to listen to narration about the rapture i guess a robot on meth does seem like the best way to do it oh i would say so (laughs) all right wouldn't have it any other way so spire christian comics were published through what is now the baker publishing group but was originally founded in 1870 as the fleming h Ravel company by a man by the same name along with his brother-in-law american evangelist dwight l moody Their ultimate goal was to make Christian literature both more plentiful and more widely available, but they didn't start with comics, and the companies didn't entertain that idea until many years and many significant organizational changes had gone by. There seemed to be so much drama surrounding the ownership and running of this company, which I'm not going to get into here, that there was no mention in their company's history that these comics were even ever published. Really? Yeah. Like, that's wild. Yeah, kind of funny, huh? Yeah, that's crazy. All right. In 1972, Al Hartley, freelance illustrator for comics like Archie and Marvel, was hired to make adaptations of some of the popular Christian novels that had been published by the Fleming H. Ravel Company. This felt like a very appropriate and timely move for Hartley, who had recently become a born-again Christian in 1967, and had chosen to quit working with Marvel because the owner at the time, Martin Goodman, asked Hartley to illustrate some risque scenes for some of his men's magazines. Hartley preferred quitting rather than sacrificing his moral values in his art. Was Hartley the artist who actually illustrated the books that we read for today? Yes, he was. All right. Hartley was the one who illustrated the ones that we read for this episode. Although... I'll talk about a little bit later. There is a little bit of mystery surrounding the artistry with There's a New World Coming, even though his name is on the cover. Okay. Yeah. I want to give you an example of one of the adaptations that Hartley penned, other than the one you and I read. And we'll talk about that one in a little bit. I'm going to send you a couple things to look at. Okay. And the first one is the cover of the novel... The Cross and the Switchblade. Can you please describe this for me? This really looks like a low-budget thriller from the 19... Probably the the 1960s is what I associate this with. There's three colors. Well, four. There's four colors. There's yellow, green, black, and white. So the background is entirely green. There is a really... It's like a really rough illustration style of a very stylized dude running with a knife. And the knife stands out because this dude is entirely done in scratchy, all black, kind of almost pencil. And then the knife is the one piece of white. He is running from another shadowy figure. There is 
it looks like a ruined city in the background. And then much more clearly illustrated drawn in white is a church because you can see the steeple with the large cross. And it says, the cross and the switchblade, the thrilling true story of a country preacher's fight against teenage crime and big city slums. Which, okay. <laughs> Written by the Reverend David Wilkerson with John and Elizabeth Sherrill. And John and Elizabeth Sherrill's billing on this title is a little bit smaller than the Reverend David Wilkerson. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And, and it's $1.95 from Spire Books. Oh, yeah. Spoiler alert. It is self-starring. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that is why his name is so large. His name is all mm. up in that thing. You didn't even change it. It's just in there. <laughs> and the next is the cover of the movie adaptation. Can you please describe the cover and read the first couple actors' names at the bottom there for me? <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> okay, so the title, The Cross and the Switchblade, is spray-painted across some decaying brick. It's standing out from all the other graffiti that's on there and it says now an explosive motion picture it's got what i'm assuming is the reverend kind of like a glamour shot and then he's surrounded by smaller shots of all the different people who are going to be taking an active role in this story on the other side of his head it looks like he's being menaced by a street tough i don't quite know how to describe <laughs> the kid other than that he looks like a character from The Outsiders. That's just immediately where I'm going. Because he's got a leather jacket, and it looks like M&M written on the back of his jacket. I'm not entirely sure, because it's sort of cut off. And then underneath them, there's a bunch of, of young men of various ethnicities running, and they're all holding bats, I guess. I'm not seeing any switchblades, other than the one that's being held by the tough who's menacing the priest. And then there is... Oh, my God. So there is the original book cover that I just described in the lower corner. And it says next to it bears the raw needs at the core of drug addiction, racial hatred, and violence. Never in all caps has a film been more timely. Um, starring Pat Boone as David Wilkerson with Eric Estrada. Oh, there he is. <laughs> I'm not recognizing any of the other names. Nah, those were the only ones I needed. He's the street tough. <laughs> I was going to say, now that I realize that Eric Estrada is in this, that is a very young Eric Estrada. Very, very who, young. Who is clearly in the salad days of his career. Yes. God. Lastly, can you please describe the cover of the comic adaptation for me? I don't know if I want to. <laughs> wow. Okay. This is way different. So... It's, again, David Wilkerson's The Cross and the Switchblade. Is that the same style? It's meant to look like it's graffitied on and that there's the dripping graffiti. There's no delicate way to say what it actually looks like. It looks like jizz. It does. It's like, bad. <laughs> it's, it's really unfortunate. Like, I don't know how else to describe it. And then you have a well-dressed for the 70s dude being menaced by, again, Eric Estrada's character. And he's surrounded by a bunch of people of color who are all staring on and not really concerned with the impending violence that's about to happen, except for one white girl who looks terrified. And then Eric Estrada's character is going, I could kill you, preach. And then the <laughs> preacher is going, yes, you could, Nikki. You could cut me up in a thousand pieces and every piece will say I love you. Oh, like vomit oh god everything about this is just it is extra 
It's a whole thing. Every variation that we've seen has started off at 11 and then it's just kept on turning it up from there. Yeah. And spoiler, thematically, the racism is there for yeah. <laughs> just, just you don't say. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's just rampant. Based on just what little I'm seeing here, it looks like a literal white savior story. Oh, that's 100% what it is. So really, the comic was an adaptation of a movie that was an adaptation of a book. Right. So the TLDR is that Nikki, played by Eric Estrada, as we saw, is a troubled gang leader in New York City who finds Jesus. That? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> See? I mean, I gotta say... That does not look like New York on the comic no. cover. No, does it? He didn't do a great job with that. I don't know why. It's not hard to make a city look like New York. You can pretty much pen any random looking city and it probably is going to look like part of New York. But good job, guys. Well, especially because you said that Al Hartley was a Marvel artist. Like all of the Marvel stories back then were taking place in New York. Yeah. It's not like he didn't know what it looked like. <laughs> Maybe he forgot this time. All right, whatever. <laughs> So Eric Estrada finds Jesus through the help of a persistent small town priest who comes to the big city to make a big difference in the lives of the troubled youth who, in his estimation, just need to find Jesus's love. And that's how Eric Estrada became a comic book character. Because <laughs> the comic is based on him. That is based on his actual person, I'm sure you noticed. I wouldn't want to admit that that comic character was based on me, but all right. I mean, there's probably a reason you haven't heard about it. <laughs> Arguably. How successful was this movie? I've never heard of this before. I haven't heard of it either. And, you know, I didn't look that up, unfortunately. Okay. Yeah. So it's a, it's a mystery. Maybe I'll update us later. Maybe I'll do more research about the cross and the switchblade. <laughs> Along with book adaptations... The comics were also centered around the comic series that Hartley is arguably best known for, Archie. Hartley reached out to John Goldwater, who was the president of Archie at the time, who agreed for Archie to be included in the Spire Christian Comics publications. The comics themselves were meant as an introduction to non-believers, to bridge the religious gap in a manner that was friendly to all ages. In total, there were 57 comic titles published under Spire Christian Comics. 19 of them were Archie. Wow. Yeah, I know, right? 12 were biographical. And they did actually pull, I was reading on another article, they did pull some of the themes from the Spire comics and put them into regular Archie, but just de-Jesused them. Right, basically. okay. So if you read one, you might say, this sounds really familiar. Well, it's probably because you've read what actually was an adaptation version, yeah. which was now the regular, what we would consider. There were 12 biographical or autobiographical comics, including the likes of Johnny Cash. And a handful were stories pulled directly from the Bible, along with other miscellaneous adaptations and some Christian comics aimed at younger children. Hartley wrote and drew most of the comics himself, but other notable figures involved Dick Ayers and Dan DiCarlo. The comics weren't all wholesome and morality-filled, however, and we talked about that a little bit earlier. Mm -hmm. There are some really problematic aspects of some of these Spire comics, including that rampant racism I talked about. 
Even in the Archie comic that you and I read, there are racist generalizations about Native Americans and their clothing, speech patterns, and general attitudes and demeanors. Yeah. Which I did not love. Opposite, in fact. There's also a comic, one of the ones considered a biography, was titled, wait for it, Hansi, the girl who loved the swastika. Mike, (laughs) could you please describe this cover for us? Give us Uh, a visual treat, please. Oh, man. So this is one of those comics also that is truly infamous, especially in the age of the internet. It's one of those things that I've at least been aware of for a few years, and it's every time you see it, it just throws you for a loop. So basically, it says... In, in big bold letters, Hansi, and then in smaller red lettering, the girl who loved the swastika, and it's this very Aryan-looking German girl in 1930s peasant wear, and she is standing in front of a motorcade where there's Hitler and some concerned-looking, you know, Nazis, and then the crowd around this motorcade is throwing up their right hands, and there's swastikas everywhere like everywhere it's let's see one two three four six seven eight nine ten there are 11 swastikas on this cover and she just she looks so happy and carefree it's wild it's one of those things where every time you see it the shock never goes away yeah it's it's a whole vibe yeah i'm not gonna lie it was based on a book titled i changed the gods in 1968 which interesting title because what did you really do yeah and it follows the life story of a german-born evangelist maria ann hirschman as she is indoctrinated into the hitler youth but was later rescued by american troops she immigrates to the u.s later in life and realizes how she had in her words been brainwashed the comic is not subtle obviously you talked about the cover just now it's not subtle at all No. Not even a little. No, no. It also has a lot of really raw and adult themes like rape and violence and is incredibly overt with its Cold War propaganda at the end of the comic. It was really something. Yeah, and that makes sense that they would go into themes like that because it's not approved by the comics code. So they could just throw whatever they wanted in it. Precisely. Well, Spire Christian comics were published until 1988 and were later reprinted as New Barber Christian Comics, as that was one of the ever-changing names of that publishing company. Hmm, that's actually longer than I would have expected for that first run. Yeah, I thought so too. So, good on them. I mean, that was a lot. It was a lot of publications that they did. I was surprised at how many. Do you know if they were being sold on newsstands, or were they just exclusively in Christian bookstores? That's a really good question. I'm not 100% on that. Okay. I mean, it could have been both. You know, it could have been both. Absolutely. I know that those were really those were pretty big up until the 90s. I remember a couple of the local malls had Christian bookstores. Oh, absolutely. We have some still in town. Oh, really? So in in Petaluma? Oh, yeah. Yeah. What? Okay. Yeah. I pass by a Christian science reading room on my walks with my dog. So there's there. They're they're around. (laughs) All right. You and I read through one of those Archies. Can you please give us a quick description? Sure. 
this was effectively an anthology of Archie shorts that take place in different times and places. Each of the stories stars Archie, and it has him facing challenges and eventually overcoming them with pretty vague help from God. Examples include him being a medieval blacksmith. He tries to slay a dragon so he can win the hand of Princess Veronica. He and Jughead are space explorers visiting, quote-unquote, twin planets with very different morality systems. There's a story about him being a World War I fighter pilot who... I'm not entirely certain what they were fighting against. Was it anti-Christian propaganda? Was that the true enemy? I think so. It really wasn't made abundantly clear. Yeah. And then there's also this, there's a really weird one, which involves him randomly walking into a spooky mansion that's owned by Beelzebub, who basically traps wayward teens by getting them to sell their souls in exchange for their heart's desire. Yeah. He was just a creepy old dude who wouldn't let teenagers leave. That was really what it was. Yeah, I didn't understand the payoff of that, but okay. So tell us a little bit about your thoughts on the comic as a whole. Yeah, I've got a soft spot for Archie. I fucking loved Mark Wade's run a couple of years ago. It's honestly one of the best comics out there. Riverdale is one of my favorite horny guilty pleasures. And, and The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina is also a blast. Side note, the Josie and the Pussycats movie is still one of my favorite soundtracks. Oh. Like, that soundtrack legit slaps. We should watch it together. We should do a viewing party sometime. Let's, I'm 100% into that, yes. Yeah, so going back to this comic, the stories didn't really work for me. Archie books are already incredibly family-friendly, and the forced morality of evangelical Christianity just felt really, I don't know, it just... It fucking rubbed me the wrong way. And on top of that, the, the godly decisions involved prayer and strict adherence to religious tenets, which I don't remember seeing anything about queer people in that Archie comic. That kind of makes sense yeah. because Kevin Keller didn't appear in, until 2010. But I remember Beelzebub trying to tempt Archie with women of loose morals. And it's really bizarre to see that kind of hand-wringing especially now about teenagers possibly having premarital sex because we're almost 50 years in the future from this. And that is very much an accepted reality at this point. These days, at least in our household, it's like, just make sure that everyone is consenting to what's going on and use protection. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I'm assuming you and I are on similar wavelengths about this, but I'm curious yeah. to hear what you thought. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought the religious theme was just so incredibly heavy handed. It was forced together with the Archie narrative. And Archie, like you said, he's an overall wholesome dude in general, in my opinion. But the morality lessons were really in your face. Like there's yeah. the one where he's in a saloon and he orders a milkshake <laughs> and this guy is trying to force him to drink alcohol. And he's like, I don't want to drink alcohol. And it's like, OK, guy. <laughs> This is just so like nobody is actually going to go into the world and try to force you to drink alcohol unless you join a frat. Please don't do that, though. That would have been way better. Have Archie go join a frat. That would have that been way better. made more sense. It would have made more. Look, at, I'm I already mean, making more sense for Archie. Call me Archie. Also, it actually makes a lot of sense for Archie to go into a saloon and order a milkshake. I kind of love that. But then the follow up of, yes. no, you need to order alcohol. That's dumb. It didn't make any sense. No. 
Overall, I thought the comic was cute, had some messages, whatever. There was one section that really bugged me, though, and it was the twin planets, where the two planets were exactly the same, except one was making good choices, the other one was making bad choices, and the bad choices were, like, not it was like not cleaning up after yourself. And I get oh, and there's then, a point to some of the bad choices. What was another one? There was. Uh, what was it? Everybody steals from everybody else. And yeah, exactly. Like, exactly. Whatever. It's just so funny. And I get there's a point, but some of the bad choices are listed as complete freedom and equ- complete equality. Yeah. That line stood out to me. That was bad. That was listed as bad. And I was like, pump the brakes. Like, we live in a society. (laughs) Come on. This was in an era where the civil rights wasn't even really history. The civil rights movement was still going on. You know, I could definitely see that as being a, a not terribly subtle dig at equality for minorities. Yeah, yeah. I can agree with that. That's how I took it as well. Yeah. And okay, did they do that entire pelican sequence just so they could make that stupid bird joke at the end? Because that's how it felt. I didn't like it. It was stupid. I reread that fucking thing three times and I was like, I don't understand. Because it was stupid. Yeah. Okay. I. (laughs) It was bad. They literally did it just so that they could make a stupid bird joke. Oh, Christianity isn't for the birds. Yeah. You literally just had a whole lesson about how there was a bird teaching another bird Christianity, and then you negated it by saying Christianity isn't for the birds, and I don't know what you want out of this. But I felt like a lot of those stories was these stupid kind of punny slogans at the end of every one of these short stories. I really found myself getting grumpy as I continued to read them because I was just sitting there and going, these are dumb and no kid is going to think christianity is cool after reading this because no (laughs) anyway moving right along let's move on to the absolute jewel of my retro collection these days which is hal Lindsay's there's a new world coming before i get too far into this comic or the book it's based on i felt like you all needed a little bit of background on hal Lindsay to really understand what we're up against here I'm so excited because I want to know who the fuck this guy was. <laughs> this is just very broad strokes because okay. I didn't want to be here all night. And I'm sure you didn't either, but very interesting. Go check it out. <laughs> all right. So he was born Harold Lee Hal Lindsay in Dallas, Texas in 1929. He dropped out of university to be in the Korean War, was briefly a tugboat captain because why not? Mm -hmm. And after a failed marriage and contemplating suicide, he found Gideon's Bible and became born-again Christian. Hmm. He entered Dallas Theological Seminary in 1958 and had his first book published in 1970. Since then, he's written more books, of which he sold millions of copies, and has Mm -hmm. moved on with the times to include broadcasting his messages via radio and television, messages that range from prophetic to conspiratorial. And I want to add this blip from Biblio.com. Mike, do you mind reading this for me? Sure. Virtually none of Lindsay's verifiable predictions have been confirmed by history. Great. Thank you. <laughs> Is this guy still like doing his thing? Is he still spreading the, the good He's word? He's 91. He's 91. He's still fucking kicking. I think he... From what it sounds like, he retired, quote unquote, whatever that means. I think he's still shouting into the ether. Okay. So, yeah, he's around. 
Okay. <laughs> cool. Oh. Uh, so speaking of predictions, let's talk about those predictions of Hal Lindsay's. So okay. there's a new world coming. First of all, can you do us a solid and describe the cover of this thing, which is a journey all in itself? It is. This is actually, I would say, the most subtle of the comic covers we looked at tonight. The, the top half is bold yellow, and it says, Hal Lindsay's There's a New World Coming. And there are three kids getting flown through space on this very weird kind of color spiral. And in the background, you can see the spiral is emanating from Earth. It's actually really cool looking. It looks like it's some sort of weird cosmic sci-fi space opera. That's the only way I can describe it. Yeah, very 70s. It's very 70s, especially when you look at the fashion <laughs> for the older of the kids, because they've got like bell bottoms. They've got the 70s collar and the big heels on the guy and also plaid pants. Um, yes. The two older characters are holding hands, kind of. I don't know. It looks almost like the dude is grabbing the woman by the wrist and dragging her along. Yeah, he t he really took her on a journey, apparently. Yeah. And then the third kid, who is also a narrator. By the way, we never fucking learn these kids name. I don't think, do we? Like, we don't learn anything about them. I, I don't think we ever actually get an official introduction to them either. No, it's just assumed that this woman is stupid and sinful and needs to be taught better. But, like, that's kind of what is presumed. But honestly, this is kind of the first panel of the comic book, because when you open the comic, yeah. it actually, it starts with them on this weird cosmic voyage. Yeah. Now, the cover is just the start of this Bananagrams comic. And even Nuttier book, which, by the way, I also listened to in its 308-page entirety. Okay, I didn't realize that this was actually a comic <laughs> adaptation of a much larger source text. Yeah. Oh, let's just say there's a reason this book was able to be condensed into a 32-page comic. Okay. <laughs> the whole premise of both publications is... Dun, dun, dun! <gasps> the Rapture! <laughs> Or, as I much prefer to call it, The Great Snatch. I'm so glad you called it out, because I was gonna if you didn't. That is, that I, is the they, highlight of this book. And they put it in such bold, different colored letters. It was in big red letters. The Great Snatch. And it it's, was this woman flying into the air. I know, I was gonna say, and it's got a woman. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Oh, I bet she is the great snatch. I was laughing so hard when I read The long and the short is that Jesus Christ will be coming back to Earth. The true believers will be abducted without dying, apparently, and eventually transported to what will be new heaven and new Earth, which is just one thing, by the way. Both the comic and the book talk about the supposed events that mark the start to Christ's second coming. Interesting fact I found about this comic in particular, while the art is signed by Hartley on the cover, there is speculation that there were potentially multiple other artists involved in illustrating this comic, as some of the styles don't match up to Hartley's through and through. Yeah, I noticed that some of the styles weren't quite cohesive. You could tell they tried. Yeah. But you can tell there's definitely some weirdness in there. And I was wondering what that was about when I was reading it myself. Yeah. And 
Also, some of the faces of some of the guys, I was like, oh, you were clearly an extra from an Archie comic that has been inserted here. Exactly. And her face is so similar to so many other Hartley ones. Right. The comic is a pretty faithfully distilled version of the book, although, in my opinion, is done in a much more organized and cohesive manner. The book provides much more scripture to back up his claims repetitively. (laughs) Well, they did that a lot in the comic, too. They did, but they didn't repeat them over and over and over and over again, because that is what they did in the book. Like, the same Bible passage would show up multiple times within very few pages. I'm just like, didn't I just hear this Bible passage? You're doing it again? It was just, it was a whole headache. That sounds really bad. There were also works of other authors referenced to build his case. Mm -hmm. But I, I found yet another interesting rabbit hole that I was unknowingly already knee deep in. One of the authors that Lindsay mentions as being a powerful writer of our time, and one he uses as an example, is Carlos Castaneda, Okay, which immediately piqued my interest as I was actually in the process of listening to a podcast about this very person. Do I want to (laughs) know? Yes. Was he on this podcast? Okay. (laughs) Was it bad? Like, I I got a feeling it's bad. You'll know right when I call out what podcast it is. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I want to give... A huge thank you to Cult Podcast for this next information. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, I have my answer. Yep. Yep. Uh, (laughs) I was right in the middle of the second of a two-part series on Carlos Castaneda that they had done. And I heard that name within Lindsay's and I was like, "Bing!" I guess I have to listen to the rest of that podcast before I really get involved. Now, Castaneda pretty much went out to get cigarettes one day and left his family to go do a project in Mexico. No joke. He just left. Not really the cigarettes part. That's kind of the cult podcast joke. But (laughs) he, he left his family for a series of years so that he could go and do an anthropological study in Mexico. How big was his family? I'm curious. He had a wife and kids, at least a couple kids. What a shit heel. Oh, absolutely. Because like multiple years, like he just was like, bye. So he did the one thing you're not supposed to do when studying anthropology. Get involved in the local rituals and ceremonies. Anthropologists (laughs) are supposed to be studying the culture, not getting involved. Kind of a look, don't touch kind of thing. Yeah, they're supposed to be neutral observers. Yeah, strip club rules. So this was already (laughs) a no-no in the scientific community. But he came back, wrote this killer thesis, followed by a best-selling book or two, got a ton of cred and notoriety based on his studying with this traveling shaman named Don Juan. I'm sure you'll be shocked to find out that there was no Don Juan. Uh Uh-huh. And Castaneda's multi-year anthropological project in Mexico turned out to be more of a vacation where Castaneda did a lot of peyote, slept with a lot of women, and scoured libraries. (laughs) So that he could pull bits and pieces out of books and plagiarize them to make his own. So he used a bunch of different spiritual books and plagiarized bits out of them to make his thesis and his books coming up. Wow. Yeah, it wasn't until years later that somebody recognized one of the pieces of his book and were like, wait a second, that sounds like something I've read from this other book. And then it was just this whole can of worms where he was like, wait, and this is plagiarized and this is plagiarized. (laughs) It was so much easier back then to pull off this kind of shit. 
I, I feel like I missed my opportunity to cheat my way through school because even by the time that we were going through high school and college, they were starting to get really aggressive about spot checking for plagiarism and things like that. And now it's oh, really yeah. hard to actually plagiarize stuff because of all the software that's out there. But God damn. It was also significantly easier to have a second family. <laughs> Apparently, yeah, before the age of social media. Yeah, change your name and... Can you even have a cult God. these days without social media? You might be able to, but I think probably a lot of them would be hinged on social media at this point, like some of those other ones that have been really recent. You, you gotta have those influencers who will sell your cult on TikTok. <laughs> oh my gosh. I find it fascinating that Lindsay chose to use this particular author to showcase this section of his argument for morality, which is regarding abstaining from drugs, by the way. I mean, probably he just didn't know. Probably this dude hadn't been exposed yet. Oh, no, no, check it out. Castaneda most certainly did not abstain from drugs, as I mentioned. And yeah. in the book, Lindsay makes some vague reference to drugs only being necessary at the beginning of the spiritual journey. So it's like he really was pro-drug, but he's also anti-drug. What? Okay. It was really strange. I reread that section and I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and he credited Castaneda with ceasing to use drugs after a certain point. However, it was really just that Castaneda was pretty burnt out after all of his heavy drug use and had to stop doing drugs for health reasons rather than spiritual <laughs> ones. <laughs> so, all right. While Lindsay doesn't list an exact date of the rapture, he does make the following prediction. Mike, will you read this blurb from, again, Biblio.com for me? Yeah, absolutely. How Lindsay forecasted the end of days would be within the generation of the establishment of Israel. That was 1948. He concluded a generation in the Bible was 40 years. Therefore, 1988, Jesus would establish his kingdom. Uh, so clearly that happened according to plan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 1988 was a crazy year, wasn't it? <laughs> Jesus came back. <laughs> yeah. 1988 was 32 years ago, and I don't remember the rapture happening. So I mean, I was two, but I don't either. Yeah. And we went to church, and I wasn't taken, is all I'm saying. <laughs> what were your overall thoughts on the comic? I... Hmm. <laughs> 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 hmm. Hmm. Honestly, uh, the whole thing feels like just one giant drug trip, which now that I have this perspective makes a lot more sense. But mainly that was because of all the swirling colors in the backgrounds and the clouds that are present throughout the entire comic. I just don't know how else to summarize it. It also feels like how Lindsay really used this for his own self-promotion more than anything else. For example, he gets top billing on both the cover and on the first page, but the comic's narrated by these three nameless teens who are taken on a magical journey through the rapture and end times <laughs> when this girl opens her Bible to the book of Revelations and then they narrate everything that's supposed to happen. And everything about it, it's just this really passive boring exposition i don't understand who the target audience for this was biblical apocalypse fiction was such a massive thing in the 90s and it could definitely be made to feel more exciting but it always feels <laughs> universally terrible whenever it's done in a quote yeah. earnest way i came of age during the era of those god-awful fucking left behind books and tribulation force and all of the media that they put out around it and it was just really not good it actually makes me mad because this shit never feels like a good story, but it's always a vehicle yes. for its creator's egos. And again, 
the left behind stuff like Kurt Cameron, I know, was really involved with that, too, for a while. And that dude's just a giant <laughs> fucking shit heel. Whatever. But honestly, the best moment in this book is when everyone is getting raptured and one of the kids refers to the moment as the great snatch like we were talking about. The moralizing also feels really vague. If you look at that one page that talks about societal decay, where they list all this really generic stuff like the decline of the family unit, and then it shows a bunch of people going into, and this was the quote, alternatives to marriage course. It's like they're going into a classroom that has that sign Which, outside it. Like, what is that? I There's not a thing that's called that. <laughs> I don't know. Like, my family is is literally the embodiment of alternatives to marriage because I'm registered as a, a domestic partner with Sarah. And we did it basically because it was the easiest thing to do during lockdown so that we could make sure that we were taken care of in case something happened to the other person. Basically, we could mail it in. But we get all the same benefits. But that wasn't a thing back then. Gay marriage wasn't a thing back then. Was it just living together in sin and common law marriage? I don't understand what that was. But everything about that felt like it was that possibly racist argument that's not quite being racist. But one of the ongoing things is there's that decline of the black family that they love to sit there and pontificate on in conservative media where they talk about black fathers abandoning their families and stuff like that. And... I've been around enough of that that it just drives me up the wall whenever I hear it. I was kind of bored and kind of mad as I read through this thing because it was just, it felt like they really squandered some some good opportunities to do something really weird and memorable here. Yeah, absolutely. What I thought was really funny too about their timing the events, I was looking at the different events that they were listing and they were like, fire from the sky. I was like, do you know how many times that we could say fire from the sky and like a volcanic eruption or the Blitzkrieg or, you know, there's Mm -hmm. all these different points in history. Any of these events could have been just this whole situation could have been popped into a different time period and anybody could have felt like they were in the apocalypse. We could be in the apocalypse right now. 2020 was a whole shithole. Absolutely. We had like death wasps. Yeah. Yeah. My favorite was the one where the helicopter's coming out of the earth. Was that it? And there's a quote where it's talking about insects coming forth with battle armor and they're giant. And they're like, look, he perfectly described helicopters 2,000 years ago. He could have been talking about death wasps. See? The killer bees, 2021, guys. Maybe it's the coming apocalypse. I don't know. Someone should be asking these questions. No. Well, I mean, it certainly wasn't like Donald Trump wasn't the Antichrist because he was supposed to bring us into a false peace or something like that. So I don't know. Yeah, that was not peaceful. I know. You would have thought, though, it really had him pegged <laughs> I, for that if I were going to say anything prior I, to this. Yeah, you know? God. So it sounds like we're kind of aligned on this, but like, I'm curious to hear to hear your take on this comic. What I did like about it, and just know, I was so entrenched in this whole topic because I listened to the book and then I also read the comic and I was just so refreshed that it wasn't the book (laughs) that I was like a little relieved. I do love that it's an absolute time capsule, just like the estate sale I found it in. The estate sale, literally, they had avocado green carpet. Wow. Yeah. Like, what is like fringe or no, uh, what's it called? The. Shag, thank you. Yeah, they had avocado green shag carpet. I mean, the whole thing was just, it was 1970 threw up in there. It was great. I loved it. Could could you rake the shag carpet? Was it that worn down? Oh, it was like, it was, yeah, it was like it needed a good rake, first of all. But I did like the fashion and the overall vibe because that's just kind of my style anyway. Yeah. So I was right there with the illustrations and the outfits drawn in the comic. 
And honestly, if taken ironically, the comic is funny as heck. It's dated. It obviously represents a time that has come and gone without the promised fall of Armageddon's hammer. Mm. So that was Spire Christian Comics for you in a nutshell. I don't know what I expected, but this blew away any expectations I could have had. <laughs> I mean, heart same. <laughs> well, let's mosey on along to our brain sure. wrinkles which is the one thing that we just can't stop thinking about. Mike, why don't you start us off? Okay. So there was a new clip for the upcoming Cruella movie that dropped this week. And have you seen any of the trailers for this? I've seen one of them, and I generally don't like to watch trailers, but I got curious. I rolled my eyes so hard when that movie was announced. And every time I see something from it, though, I keep getting more interested. I'm actually really digging how punk rock they're making Cruella. It's got a very 1970s British punk vibe, which is 100% my jam. And also the cast in this movie is so fucking good. We're not going to pay to see it. Obviously, we're going to wait until it comes to, to the common folk on Disney+, Plus. but I'm curious to see what they do with her. I'm not sure every villain needs a redemption arc, which is something that we've been seeing a lot of lately, like the Maleficent movies. But I appreciate it when it feels really well done, like the case with Harley Quinn, like I was talking about last week. Yeah. Segways right into my brain wrinkle. Excellent. (laughs) Which is every once in a while, like on a daily basis, because I'm queer as hell, I think about Harley Quinn and Poison (laughs) Ivy. (laughs) And I think, good for her. (laughs) And also like, goals of getting out of that bad relationship Mm -hmm. that harley was in i'd be so much better for harley than that toxic ass (laughs) joker yeah so that whole relationship was skeevy i didn't like it it was one-sided and controlling and manipulative and i've i've never liked it it's always kind of sat with me in a weird way and so when they had this spin, I was like, thank goodness. Even when I was in my 20s and I saw people sharing those memes of, oh, you just need someone crazy like you. And it's Harley and the Joker. And I'm like, he's abusive. Yes, yes, like, no. Even I could see that. Yep. And I was terrible in my 20s. Yeah. yeah, it should be pretty obvious, but somehow yeah. it just isn't. I don't know. Thanks for listening to 10 Cent Takes. Accessibility is important to us. Text transcriptions of each of our published episodes can be found on our website. This episode was hosted by Jessica Frazier and Mike Thompson. Written by Jessica Frazier and edited by Mike Thompson. That's me! Our intro theme was written and performed by Jared Emerson (laughs) Johnson of Bay Area Sound. Our credits and transition music is Pursuit of Life by Evan McDonald and was purchased with a standard license from Premium Beat. Our banner graphics were designed by Sarah Frank who on Instagram goes by cut underscore thistles. If you'd like to get in touch with us, ask us questions, or tell us about how we got something wrong, please head over to 10centtakes.com or shoot an email to 10centtakes at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter. The official podcast account is 10centtakes. Jessica is Jessica with a and Jessica is spelt with a K. And Mike is Van Sau, V-A-N-S-A-U. Stay safe out there. And support your local comic shop. <laughs>